In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. The internet will give you different answers as to who coined that phrase. I don't know who just said it. Some people said George Orwell said it, but then a bunch of other people said he didn't say it, and I don't really care. I like the quote. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I can't make the statement that in our times we are filled with universal deceit. I can't make the statement that that's happening in our country, but I can make the statement that we're closer to that than we were when I was born. We are undoubtedly closer to deceit. Deceit has become more common. Deceit about who we are, where we came from, and how we are to live our lives. Earlier this week, I stumbled across an article. I assure you I wasn't looking for it, and I'm not sure why I, I clicked on it, but I did. I saw an article earlier this week in which a drag queen, a drag queen performer, had a conservative Southern father who did not approve of that lifestyle. And yet this individual and his father, for some reason, his father agreed to it to allow the son to dress his father in drag. And so they went through this experience and they talked about, this article talked about how what a bonding experience it was, even though the father disapproved of this as this, whatever it was, was going on. I don't know. I only read about 10% of the article and that was more than I needed to. But as I was reading this, I was coming to the conclusion that this is nothing but normalizing this behavior. This is chipping away at the abhorrence that it really is. Our societal resistance to these things is being eroded, slowly chipped away, time after time after time. Maybe there's not a large people, amount of people engaging in these activities, but the amount of people that are approving of these activities is increasing. And I'm sure we'll hear those kinds of things again and again this week from this very pulpit. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I pray that deceit in our country does not become universal. I pray that it's not that rampant. But it is certainly increasing. Speak the truth. My topic this morning is to speak the truth. There may be some things that are a little uncomfortable this morning, because, or this afternoon, because sometimes, in my estimation, I think that, that this is a challenge for some of us, myself included. And it may be a little uncomfortable, but skirting the truth and a lesson about speaking the truth I didn't think was a very good idea. So I'm going to present what I think is the truth about the topic. What is speaking the truth? What is speaking the truth? Well, this is my definition, but it's linguistically conveying the truths and teachings conveyed in the Bible. Linguistically conveying the truths and teaching conveyed in the Bible. It can be verbal, it can be written, it could even be by sign language. Speaking doesn't have to be auditory, but it is the presentation of truths, the presentation of materials, of the truths that are conveyed within the Bible. Titus chapter 2, I'd like to take a turn there, take a, take a look at that if you want to turn there. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So there's what it's supposed to be. The grace of God has brought salvation, and then it's telling them in verse 12 how they're to live their lives. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So they're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. 
Verse 15. Speak these things. Speak these things. What are the things that they are to speak? Well, the truths that were just conveyed in the previous verses, that they are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that they are to look forward to the returning of Christ. And in verse 15, it says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke. That, in my estimation, is what speaking the truth is. Speaking those things, exhorting one another, and rebuking those who need it. To teach, to encourage, and to correct. If you turn back just one page in my Bible, in the very last of of 2 Timothy chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, actually the beginning of that chapter, I'm sorry, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Back up even a smidge farther. Chapter 3, verse 16 is that famous verse where it says, All Scripture, um, um, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. In verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration and uh, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. Sorry, I got a little tangled up there. But in 16, we see that the Scripture is for doctrine, reproof, and correction. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Preach the Word. Preach the word, preach the very word that is good for doctrine, reproof, and correction. So Titus basically calls it speaking these things, exhorting and rebuking. Timothy has the same list in Jesus' slightly different words of doctrine, rebuke, and exhortation. But when we speak the truth, we are supposed to be doing one of those three things. To teach, to evangelize, to convince, to exhort, to encourage to toe the line, and to rebuke, to correct. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Specifically, what is speaking the truth? It's teaching, the, in my estimation, it's teaching the validity of the Bible, telling of Jesus the Christ, teaching salvation, and teaching God's will for us, be it righteous living or correcting errant living. That is what speaking the truth is. What speaking the truth is not. What speaking the truth is not. It is not silently living righteously. It is not reiterating traditions not found in the Bible, and it is not mocking or tearing down a different belief system to make ourselves feel better. That is not speaking the truth. Silently living righteously has a time and place, has incredible value, but that's not speaking the truth. Some of the traditions that we have are very meaningful and very valuable and very beneficial. But if they're not contained in the Bible, they're not truths and don't need to be taught as such. And accurately conveying flaws contained within false doctrine. Rick talked about this a little bit. Accurately conveying flaws contained in false doctrine and beliefs is commanded. But not to make ourselves feel better. Not to make ourselves proud. But rather to guide, help, and perhaps correct others. Speaking the truth is speaking. It's not talking about being an example. And speaking the truth is not mocking falsehoods. And I've heard people, some that I would say are brothers, some that are not, but I've heard people do these things in a mocking tone. And that's not speaking the truth. Even if what they're verbally saying is speaking the truth. It's not speaking the truth in the way that we ought to do it. Living our life as an example to others in the world is a biblical concept that's incredibly important, but that's not with these verses that Timothy and Titus are talking about. They are addressing speaking the truth. Why should we speak the truth? Well, it's the truth. It's a good, it's a good start, right? 
There's no shortage of passages in the Bibles about speaking the truth. In fact, as I was going through this in preparation for this lesson, I was amazed at how much the Bible really has to say about speak the truth. God is very interested in us communicating his will to the world and to others. We're not going to have time to go to the Old Testament, hardly at all, this, this lesson, but it's filled with it of just prophets and people that were commanded to go speak in some very difficult situations. Why? Because that's what God needed. God needs people to be his, his mouthpiece. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 said, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 59. I'm going to turn there if you want to follow with me. There's a couple of verses. It's an interesting point here as Jesus is talking about, about um, individuals becoming his disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 59 and 60. This is when he kind of, he starts, he attempts to call some disciples and they kind of make some excuses. One says, let me go um, say goodbye to my family. And this says, let, let me bury my father. So in verse 59, um, then he said to another, then he being Jesus. In verse 59, it says, then he said to another, follow me. So Jesus looks at a man and he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and what? Preach the kingdom of God. Jesus said, follow me. He made an excuse and he said, don't worry about that excuse. You go preach the kingdom of God. Here in my mind, Jesus is equating following him with teaching about him, right? What is the first thing that he says to do as a follower of of Jesus? He says, go preach the kingdom. Jesus is essentially equating discipleship with being a preacher. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul shares some thoughts about speaking the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yes, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Here he's saying, if I go and preach the gospel, don't don't think that I have anything to to boast about. That's what I should be doing. Woe is me if I don't do this. Woe is me if I don't do this. Preaching is nothing to boast about. Preaching is the expectation, at least it was for Paul, and that's how Paul seemed to look at it. How long do you think after meeting Paul... How long do you think it would be after meeting Paul that you found out he was a Christian? Put a stopwatch on it. Hi, I'm Shane. Hi, I'm Paul. Click. How long before Christ is brought up? I've always wondered that question. I don't know, but I would guess that it's measured in minutes and hours and not days and weeks. Woe is me if I do not preach. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Ezekiel has a a different but somewhat similar sentiment about a warning if we don't preach the word. I'll read those four verses. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16 and 19. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, and to save the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. 
If you don't warn this man that he's going to perish and he dies, his blood will be at your hand. Verse 19, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from the wickedness nor his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Granted, that was a message to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. God hasn't spoken to me directly in the way that that is. We can make all kinds of excuses about how that doesn't apply to me. That was just to Ezekiel. But that might be an excuse, right? Woe to those who do not preach. I think there's a stern warning here. And it can make us uncomfortable. It can make me uncomfortable. But yet I believe that it is the truth. Why should we speak the truth? Well, because it's the good news. It's because it's what Jesus the Christ wants us to do. And frankly, because as Paul and Ezekiel have said, there's a warning if we don't. How do you get your children to do something? Well, you can reward them or you can um, consequence them. Right? I think we have that here. And Paul and Ezekiel have just told us about the consequence side of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Turn there for, with me as well. I know I'm, I'm referencing a lot. There's just so much. I'm, I'm covering a, a lot of passages, and it's not even 10% of what the Bible has to say about this topic. But if we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. It really kind of starts off in verse 7, but I won't get that much context. I'll just start with with verse 14. And Paul's making this um, point, and he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Okay, so we're no longer children that are just pushed about and just just, um, pushed around by every wind or tide of, 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 of false doctrine. But by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but... Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. In verse 14, he calls them children. And what are the characteristics of these children? Well, they're tossed to and fro by by false doctrines, right? In verse 15, he says, speaking the truth, what? That we may grow up. How do we grow up? Here in verse 15, it says we grow up by speaking the truth. Speaking the truth is not the result of maturity, but in this instance, it's indicating that it is the means to maturity. Speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him. If we remove some of the descriptive language there in verse 14, and I'm not a grammar person, but I know there's some commas, and so lots of times you can just throw out what's between the commas and try to make some more sense. So in verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children, comma, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. You're no longer a children if you start speaking the truth in love. That will help you to grow up. A child is not able to discern right from wrong or correct from incorrect. Maturity and speaking the truth are correlated. Speaking the truth in love is what causes maturity. So how do we speak the truth? We've talked a little bit about what speaking the truth is, and we've talked a little bit about why it's important. How do we do it? Well, we don't have time to talk about, you know, it should go door knocking or, or you know, it, this isn't going to be in that actually how we do it. This is overall, how do we do it? Well, first of all, you must know the truth in order to speak the truth, right? You can't teach something that you don't know. I can't think of a, a way. I've met people that have tried, but you can't really teach something that you don't know, right? 
Spending time in God's word will strengthen your faith, increase your knowledge, and keep spiritual thoughts and concepts in the front of your mind. You have to know the truth in order to teach the truth. But I want to make it abundantly clear that you don't have to be an expert. You do not have to know everything about the Bible to evangelize, because that's not possible, right? And we see this borne out in our own lives. How quickly and passionately do people recommend restaurants? Even to the point of giving directions. Oh, we just went to this place last night. You've got to go there. It's, it's across from the train station, past the red, you know, park, park behind the blue building. You go there, and then we'll even tell them what they have to order. You've got to get the shrimp pasta. Are you an expert at that restaurant? You know, I went there once and it was good, but do you know if the kitchen's clean? Do you know where they get their produce from? You don't have to know everything about that restaurant to make a recommendation. And yet we find ourselves doing those types of things, right? Why? We passionately evangelize on the restaurant's behalf because we liked it and it was on, on our mind. Usually it's just after we went there, right? You go into work the next day and say, hey, we went somewhere last night or hey, we went somewhere over the weekend. Do we like the gospel, and is it on the top of our minds? By the way, Slap's Barbecue in Kansas City, Kansas is phenomenal. <laughs> you guys have ever been there? Get the sandwich. It is so good. I would guess that 90% of the people, if not more, probably more than that, but I'll say 90% of the people in this room have enough knowledge to speak the truth on some level. And everyone has enough knowledge to say to someone, let's see what's in the Bible. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 with someone that states, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge to read that passage with somebody else and then say, let's find the narrow gate together. We can do that if it's important enough and if it's on the top of our mind. Generally, people are ready and willing to discuss the things that they've been doing recently and things that they are very interested in. You know, if you're making small talk with someone, what comes up? Two, generally, it's two things. Something that recently happened to them. So how are things going? Oh, well, you know, my toilet exploded or something. Why did I think of that? That's not in my notes. That just popped into my head. Of all the things to happen. What? I'm sure this is recorded, too. But you know, I don't know, we got a flat tire. So you go in and you just had a flat tire, so you talk about it. Or you talk about things that you're really, really interested in. Oh, I love to fly fish, or I love to go hunting, or I love to sports, or the, you know, whatever. Those are the things that come up, right? Are we interested enough, and are we inputting the gospel enough into our mind? I cannot think of a time in my life where I was really actively looking for opportunities to speak the truth, be it evangelistically or in a correction or, or exhortation way, where I wasn't regularly reading and praying. I'm going to say that again. I cannot recall a time in my life where I was actively looking for opportunities to speak the truth, be it evangelistically or correctionally, where I was not also actively reading and praying. Those things are not disconnected. Those things are correlated. How else are we to preach the word? Well, in Acts chapter 5 that Nick just read from us, for us, 
I'd like to just to read a couple, reread a couple of verses in 18 through 21. Here the apostles are in prison. They're freed from prison. And I'd just like to read this account. Starting in, in verse 18, um, says that, And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So the apostles are put into prison. Verse 19, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So in the middle of the night an angel rescues them, opens up the doors and says, go into the temple and, and speak to the people. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple when? Early in the morning. Early in the morning and taught. They get broke out of prison in the middle of the night. I don't know how long they've been in prison. I don't know what they've been through, but it seems like, hey, I'm going to go home and catch my breath a little bit. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to get a good meal. They get broke out and make it up 2 a.m., and then at sunrise, they're in the temple preaching. They're at it. They're ready to go. They do it boldly, and they do it with some urgency. I won't take the time to revisit those passages, but the first two passages that we started with, Titus 2 and 15 and 2 Timothy 4 and 2, they're very related ones. They're the ones that said that, that the, the speaking the truth is about instruction, correction, and, and encouragement. Titus chapter 2, verse 15, Paul tells Titus to do it with authority. Do it with boldness. Do it with authority. Timothy is charged to do it with long-suffering or with love. That's, a, that's a, not a difficult dynamic, but those two things can seem opposed to each other. We've got to do it with authority, but we also have to do it gently, with gentleness, with loving, lovingly. But that's how we are to do it. Is it with fear? Is it with timidness? Is it with unsurety? No. Do it with authority and do it with long-suffering. What happens to those who speak the truth? It's a very open-ended question, and there's example after example after example that we can turn to in the Bible. Acts that we're in here right now, we just saw that the apostles were imprisoned for it. John chapter 15 Jesus is talking about this. John chapter 15, verse 18. He gives us a snapshot into what may happen. John chapter 15, verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then down in verse 20, it says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's a direct statement. They persecuted me, guys. They're coming after you. What happens to those who speak the word, speak the truth? They're not popular. They're not popular. And that's where probably some of our angst comes from. Because most of us like things to, be go, to go well, to be smooth. If not popular, at least accepted. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, Paul also gives us an indication of what happens to those who speak the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Paul talking to the Corinthian brethren says, We, he and his companions, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What happened to Paul and his companions? Well, they're hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Now, this passage here, Paul is saying that we can endure all these things with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that we're able to handle it. But what's happening to these people that are speaking these things? 
They're hard-pressed, they're perplexed, they're persecuted, they're struck down. People who speak the truth will not be popular. But Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Christ says, If you confess me before men, I will what? Confess you before my Father. Those, what happens to those who preach the truth? Jesus Christ will count them as his own. And Jesus Christ will confess our name before the Father. Yes, there will be hardships, undoubtedly. But there will also be a reward. And the reward is worth it. As I draw my thoughts to a close here, in conclusion, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom, him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How can people be brought to Christ, be turned to Christ, if there isn't a preacher? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, select the end of 14 and end of 15, says, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. You don't light a lamp and hide it. The truth is not meant to be hidden. The truth enlightens, inspires, the truth anchors, the truth strengthens, the truth bolsters. The truth educates, motivates, pacifies, glorifies, teaches, reaches, reveals, and heals. The truth does all these things. The truth reaches the lost, the truth reclaims the wayward, and the truth guides the faithful. And as Zach is going to tell us, the truth sets us free. The truth is not meant to be kept secret. The truth is not meant to be hidden. The truth is meant to be spoken, and the truth is meant to be shared. This lesson this afternoon is really not a lesson about truth, but rather what we do with the truth. We heard two lessons this morning. We're going to hear another one this afternoon, and then we're going to hear another 26 throughout the course of this study. I hope they give good lessons. I know, I know the men that are speaking, and I believe that they will. I hope that those 26, 27 lessons to come are good lessons. I hope that you take good notes, and I hope that you speak some of the truth that is discussed here at this meeting.